Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Football by Football Podcast. Welcome back to the Football by Football Podcast. This is Matt Chatham, your host, joined again this week by the two Bradys, Brady Papinga and Brady Quinn, both writers for footballbyfootball.com. What is up, fellas? What's up there, buddy? I'm just trying to well, stay I- cool in this hot South Florida weather. I was going to say, this is this is the one time a year where I can look at you two, Brady Papenga out there in California and Quinn down there in Florida, and say, you know what? I got me a little summer now. Finally, a little sun for these, uh, <laughs> this incredibly pale body of mine. So uh, I, I got to, you know, go outside and, and see the sunshine. It's pretty cool stuff. But uh, yeah, I guess you All guys right. see. Vitamin D goes a long way there, Matt. Vitamin D <laughs> is does. huge in your life. <laughs> Let's bounce into this, fellas. We'll get right into it. I'm using the operable word there. Bounce for a reason. We're uh, we're doing a show today uh, centered around NFL bounce back candidates for 2015. So off the top, you know, all the three of us are going to get into our, our choices, both on offense and defense. And then we'll each go with a team that we think will do considerably better than they did a year ago. Uh, one of the reasons we're sort of going with this topic title is – sort of outlining what a bounce back would amount to uh, and why these things tend to happen in the NFL. Again, this is a a football by football show. So it's guys that are experienced in this league. And it's something that I think we all have seen a lot of. I I know certainly I have where a guy disappears. You don't hear about much, much about him a year in later. And he shows up on a scouting report where you're playing. Gosh, what happened to that guy a year before? And then all of a sudden he's blowing up. And there are reasons for these things. It's, you know, it's not uh, – Coach Belichick always used to used to uh, sort of joke about this with coaches or or other players and say, well, he, he didn't get shitty overnight. You know, he's not – he's still the same guy he was seven or eight months ago. Uh, I think in football you understand circumstances change. Sometimes injuries happen. Sometimes schemes change. Sometimes the car sits in the garage. It doesn't, you know, not – you know, doesn't change from being a Ferrari. It just – once it's driven again, you remember, oh, okay, there's that guy. So we're going to sort of talk today about players that maybe you didn't hear as much about in 2014. You may have thought that they were, air quotes, disappointing. Uh, they may have had injuries. Uh, so we're going to jump right in here, and we're going to leave with Brady Quinn. Uh, your offensive guy, the guy that you think is a good candidate for, for a bounce back in 2015. So for me, it's, it's Mike Wallace. You know, you look at some of the biking, uh, you know, bickering and griping that was going on down here in Miami, close to where I live. And it just didn't seem to be that him and you know Ryan Tannehill could get on the same page with it with a deep ball. And I don't think that's going to be an issue for him up in Minnesota now for a few reasons. The first being Adrian Peterson. You know, anytime you've got him in the backfield, he's going to force defense to put an extra guy in the box. That allows you to have that one-on-one coverage on the outside, which Mike Wallace will be able to burn past most any DB in the NFL. The other thing is you got offensive coordinator North Turner, who when you go back through his history in coaching with the San Diego Chargers, he's got a lot of the similar elements that he had uh, when he was in San Diego, Antonio Gates at tight end, uh, Phillip Rivers at your quarterback position, you can heave the ball uh, deep, and then Malcolm Floyd or Vincent Jackson, whichever you want to kind of throw in that spot as their deep ball threat. He was very effective there in, in San Diego. He's got similar targets now with Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback, Kyle Rudolph at tight end, and now he's got Mike Wallace to burn on the outside. So I really feel like North Turner's scheme will be able to help not only get Mike Wallace more open and more opportunities to really – take advantage of some of those deep ball plays, but he'll figure out better ways of utilizing him. And 
lastly, I would say the quarterback position, and when you look at Teddy Bridgewater, if there's one thing he does well, he does throw uh, a very soft, forgiving deep ball, meaning he uses a lot of trajectory. With Ryan Tannehill in Miami, I think he threw a little bit more of a flatter go ball, which tends to leave you less of an opportunity to be as accurate as quarterback, and it made it tougher to then be on the same page. Uh, so I think you know it might be a little bit easier transition now for Mike Wallace to kind of bounce back and be the effective player we all saw when he was with the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, a few years ago. I think he's going to have the type of a season now with the Minnesota Vikings. Brady Papenga, where are you going here on this pick? My pick's going to be Adrian Peterson. It's along the same lines of exactly what Brady was talking about in terms of Mike Wallace being a because Adrian Peterson, he's immediately going to demand, as uh, Brady said, obviously, man, boxes, heavy boxes. But here's the situation with Adrian Peterson, guys. First and foremost, and Jim Schwartz, the former head coach of the Detroit Lions, former defensive coordinator of the Tennessee Titans and the Buffalo Bills, he even said it himself. When you play against Adrian Peterson, it doesn't matter if you put eight guys, nine guys, he's still going to run through that kind of defense. And right now, I'm telling you, his mentality, is one to where he is mad. The guy has a chip on his shoulder. Whether you agree with why he has it or not, and it does have to stem with his suspension this last year uh, for child abuse, and he obviously came out and said it was something that if he had to do it over again, he obviously would have made a different choice. He's learned from the occasion, but he's mad. And he's mad because he didn't play last year, and he's fresh. But I'll tell you what, when you look at his history, when this guy's coming off a situation where he's, he's feeling like he has to prove something, like he did back in 2012 when he had a late season. It was 2011 where he had a late-season ACL injury, and everybody in the offseason was questioning, will we ever see a really good version of Adrian Peterson again, thinking that that ACL injury would ultimately lead to him slowing down and not being as effective in Russia. Well, he answered those questions with rushing for 2,007 yards. So we know that Adrian Peterson, when he runs with a vengeance, the guy is extremely difficult to stop. And the fact that he had to sit all out last year, and I do not believe he agreed with that, just adds to the fuel to his fire of wanting to go out and prove to everybody that uh, don't forget about Adrian Peterson. And then the fact that he loves his coach, and I do believe his relationship and respect towards Mike Zimmer is what ultimately motivated him to want to come back, even in the situation that he found himself in. And as we all know, guys, when you're in a situation where you like the environment, you like the scheme, which any scheme fits Adrian Peterson, but more importantly, when you have that nice symbiotic relationship with your coach, whether it's the head coach or your your, your position coach, doesn't matter, there's just that vibe, that synergy that exists to where you really feel like you can go out and play top-notch football. I do believe that exists with Adrian Peterson. So he's my guy, and honestly, uh, I'd be shocked if he doesn't rush for at least 1,800 yards this next year, bearing that he stays healthy. Um, I'm going to go a little bit different route here, and I'm going to throw a guy out. I'm not exactly putting him out to have a Pro Bowl season or anything like that. I just think that he's a really important cog in what Tampa Bay uh, needs to get done to aid this new quarterback they have in Jameis Winston. I'm going to go with a muscle hamster. I'm going to go with Doug Martin. Uh, and this is not, not a choice to, to sort of, you know, say the guy's going to have a breakout season and go back to 2012 or whatever. I don't even think it needs to be that. I just am putting it out there that this is a guy who needs to have a good year. He's, you know, physically, he's still a young guy. This Again, back to the Belichick quote, this isn't much different a, a dude is from, you know, 38 months, 39 months, 40 months ago, whatever it was, when he last had a bunch of success. 
So if the scheme fits better, if he's used better, if they're not trailing in every ball game where your running back isn't a huge part of things, well, then all of a sudden, wow, this guy looks like he used to look. Well, I think sometimes the scheme, scheme will toggle and the games will be tighter and all of a sudden you become a bigger factor. I think it's important that he becomes one. If not him, you know, Bobby Rainey, somebody that's down there, one of the new bodies in Tampa. Uh, but I'll still go with Doug Martin as the guy that needs to be that guy. Because, quite frankly, if your view is this is the way we're going to assimilate a young number one overall uh, quarterback by putting them back in the gun and having them throw the ball 45 times, you're screwed. So I think it'll be a lesson quick learned uh, by by Tampa if they rely on that running game, if they go running game first, especially in the event that you understand some of your personnel that you have on your side of the ball. You got three giant wide receivers. You got Mike Evans, Vincent Jackson. The tight end is six seven, uh, Jenkins. And you have one of the better run-blocking guards in all of football, even though he's an older guy, Logan Mankins. Those kind of big bodies can dominate defensive backs on the edge. They can dominate in the run game. Sometimes a bigger body's got to rest, too. Let them go dominate. So I think a, a balanced offense there really aids a, a guy like Jameis Winston. So, And Doug Martin's the same guy as before. He's still got that balance. He's still got that explosiveness. I think he's going to be used really well in that offense. Now, I'm going to transition here a little bit. We're going to go to the other side of the ball, as we mentioned. We'll go first with Brady Papinga on the other side of the ball. Defensively, who do you see as a guy who's going to have that bounce back year? Well, it's got to be Sean Lee with the Dallas Cowboys. And the guy, I mean, last year at this time of year was making a smooth transition into that Mike linebacker spot in the what they call between quotations Tampa 2 scheme or Rob Marinelli down there that he brought that scheme from Chicago. A little bit more evolved than what the traditional Tampa 2 scheme is since they do blitz a whole lot, by the way. And the Tampa 2 is their foundation, but it's maybe, what, 20% of really what they do. But what I really like about that is Sean having worked with the guy when I played with Dallas, he he literally is a nerd when it comes to just football. I mean, he knows the defense better than the coaches because he'll sit in defensive meetings and correct the coaches on techniques and schematics that don't even pertain to his own position group. And the coaches will always go, oh, you're right. And they'll like actually acknowledge the fact that they were wrong, which obviously shows how highly they respect this guy. And then the guy is so well-studied He's a lot, he reminds me a lot of Zach Thomas in the sense that, you know, Zach Thomas didn't possess a lot of physical traits that really jumped off the, the, the page at you, like speed, his 40 was in the 40 range, and size obviously wasn't there, whereas Sean Lee has that. But he reminds me of Zach Thomas in the sense that he is so well-researched in terms of play recognition that the guy literally, I, and I saw it numerous times as I studied him on film, he would just take off at the snap of the ball because he saw some giveaway in the offense that determined the play that he was there before the blockers could set up, before even the ball got there on a couple bubble screens, and he's making monster tackles, tackles for loss. Everybody talks about his speed when, in fact, it was just his ability to, A, study the potential triggers that determine a certain play, and then him just processing that, trusting that, and reacting to it. And I see that being the same case in this kind of defense because it is a defense, as you would experience yourself, Matt, uh, it's simple. It's straightforward. It's not difficult. So there's not a lot of thinking going on. It's just line up. You do what you do, essentially. There, you're going to have some curveballs or whatever, but it's so simple to where, really, you're just playing freely. You put him in that kind of defense to where now he can really study on play recognition and things of that nature. 
that's going to be huge for him. And then he's a huge leader. Everybody respects the guy. Everybody knows he's a salt of the earth kind of guy that you can rely on. He's always motivated. I mean, even when he was hurt and potentially on that kind of chipping block area to where, or chopping block area to where maybe he gets sent off, he's still there helping his guys out. He's helping McLean, you know, transition to that Mike linebacker spot when he had been out of the league for a number of years, knowing very well that that guy could potentially replace him. So there's a lot of things in his favor in terms of him really making a huge, huge comeback this year, having a huge season. But it all really is dependent on, as it has been throughout his whole career, is can this guy stay healthy? And, I mean, for him, it's just a matter of positive thoughts at that point because I think a lot of the injuries he's had have been just bad luck. But if he can stay healthy, you'll see him in the Pro Bowl this next year as the Mike linebacker. That's the uh, the old Fred Taylor syndrome where a guy gets marked really early in his career as sort of a – a brittle bunny, you know, a guy that's like, can we even get yeah. him through a season? Uh, but Fred Taylor was this anomaly. He was a guy that absolutely had that, that MO. And at some point, third year, fourth year, fifth year, I don't remember when it was, something clicked, and then he stopped missing games and then just ran out the tail end of his career and became a super productive player. You hope it's the, that's the case with Sean Lee. Uh, and anytime you mention Zach Thomas, I mean, I got to chop in here. This is actually a YouTube video I would recommend for, for fans out there to check it out. Patriot fans won't like it as much. Uh, but <laughs> there's a hit There's a hit in, the, in Zach's rookie year against Sean Jefferson where just in pursuit, kind of what you mentioned, uh, Brady Papinga, where he just like, a, like he was shot out of a cannon in pursuit, knew the play, running out there and knocked out Sean Jefferson on his feet. It was, it was an unbelievable hit. Guy actually, absolutely has a hammerhead. But uh, on you, Brady. Well, you know, that's, what, that, say, that's what people don't realize a lot of times is really people get so caught up, and it's because of the combine of, you know, how fast does a guy run a 40 or how quick does he do his, quick, uh, his short shuttle or all those numbers, and they think that determines how fast the guy ultimately plays. But as I was taught, and we all know this, angles always will beat – speed and so will reaction time and so you can if you're out there like zach thomas he ran a 4.8 but his reaction time was so much faster than everybody else that that 4.8 was basically canceled out it didn't matter because he was able to get to the point of attack or to wherever the play was going before even the offense could because he had studied the film so much so that he knew every key and every trigger point to determine that play at the snap of the ball and the same could be said for sean lee so really that's what made a guy like Zach Thomas and potentially what can make Sean Lee, as long as he can stay healthy, special, is their ability to use those kind of deeper, uh, you could say, just guides and measures of how to really react and, uh, and process what plays coming at him. So, Brady Quinn, uh, where, where will you go on the, uh, on the defensive side of the ball? I'm going to go with Jared Allen. And, and, you know, it's kind of a risky pick because they're changing schemes now in, their, in Chicago and they're putting him out outside of the linebacker in a 3-4 with a new defensive coordinator, uh, Vic Fangio. But, you know, for me, going, if you go back through Jared Allen's career, he had double-digit sacks dating back all the way back to 2006. That was the first season he didn't have double-digit sacks, and last year he only had five and a half. And I think there's a number of reasons for it. One, he didn't really have a ton of help on the opposite side. Um, you know, they brought in Pernell McPhee in free agency this year. He's basically a pass, uh, pass rush specialist out of Baltimore. So I think he's going to add some help on the opposite side where they won't be able to double Jared Allen in every single, um, you know, pass play situation. I think the other fact is, you know, Vic Fangio is going to be a lot more aggressive. I think he's going to bring more pressures that force one-on-ones up front on, on most offensive lines. And I think Jared Allen is going to have the opportunity to get to the passer. And we've all seen throughout the years that there's one thing Jared Allen's good at is he's relentless. You know, he's one of those guys you got to bring your lunch pail. 
He's good. He's a good technician. He's going to be there all day. And although he's getting older in his career, although this is a new um, position per se for him, and Brady Papinga, you could probably talk to this, um, you know, as far as you know, div- adapting to that three-four outside linebacker space. Uh, I just truly believe he's going to be the one. You know, be, he's going to be that fourth guy. I mean, the majority of the time, and I think he's just going to have more effectiveness and more sacks. I mean, even the head coach John Fox comes from a more defensive background. You better believe he's going to want to get Jared Allen going early and often uh, once the season gets started. Sometimes you see the guys that actually have the higher pass rep numbers actually get lower productivity if every single snap is a pass rush. I think it's interesting to see the breakdown sometimes on guys' actual sack stats where you might get one on second and eight, you know, from regular personnel as opposed to every, you know, everyone's sack doesn't come from third and 12. (laughs) Everyone's sack doesn't come from third and seven. So I think if they're improved and more efficient on the offensive side of the ball and they're not trailing uh, each and every game, if the defense isn't getting gashed on first down in the run game, Chicago's defense was pretty porous there as well. And I mean, you don't get sacks on third and two, you know, because it's a quick passing game. So I think it's tough uh, to to judge how he'll do because we haven't seen him do it. Uh, I, the one guy I do jump that jumps into my head is Alden Smith out in San Francisco, a guy who I think was resistant to, doesn't love being in the three four, doesn't love uh, those opportunities where he has to drop. I mean, he'd prefer to just be in the rush each and every play. And there's a there's a number of guys I think in the league that feel that way uh, I don't think Jared Allen has to get 10 sacks I know I, I'm, I'm kind of in the camp where I think it's relatively arbitrary I think at this point he needs to be a leader he needs to m- impact the game somehow some way I mean he's been in a three-point stance sprinter stance for how many years 12 years I, I don't have numbers in front of me but 12 years that's thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of repetitions of being in the three-point down stance and all of a sudden they're going to ask him up we're going to need you to stand up now for my uh, for my defensive player, I'm actually going to go with Michael Johnson, uh, formerly of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and now once again a Cincinnati Bengal. I think this is sort of a slam dunk. I think this was really a win-win for everyone, other than Tampa, who did that terrible contract where you give the guy a ton of money and you you let it go after only one season. I think he's a great example. I think much like Jared Allen, where when you're in a bad defense or maybe just a bad team, period, a team that's not winning games, a team that's not stopping people or scoring. Pass rushers never are productive in those schemes or in those situations. You get in a situation where all of a sudden, hey, oh, Michael Johnson only had, or you know, he only had X amount of sacks. Well, they sucked. <laughs> you know, I think yeah. you're in a lot of down and distances where you don't get those those plays. Uh, productive teams, teams that are winning, sometimes those guys make plays because you put teams in bad situations where the sack I think is a little easier to get. He now gets the absolute luxury to go back home again. You know, he gets to go back to the team where he had all that success. And he gets the ideal scenario, I think, in my mind, where Geno Atkins, who comes off an ACL from a year ago, uh, and he was a good player last year. It was great to see him back out there healthy. But I think he he looked a lot like that guy looks the first year after the ACL. That second year when it's like, okay, legs are under me. It's not just that I'm not going to get hurt. It's that I feel comfortable putting it that leg out outside my base cutting corners doing all the things I used to do loading on that thing and 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 not even thinking twice about it he gets an explosive guy on the inside and Geno Atkins gets his old dude back and gets to go back and do what he's always done so I think that's really an ideal situation for any player um, we're going to transition now to team. So we're uh, quickly in a couple minutes for each guy. Uh, what, what, first of all, Brady Quinn, do you see as a team that, that you would peg for, for a big jump in 2015? To me, it's the Atlanta Falcons. Um, you know, they, they fire head coach Mike Smith. They bring in Dan Quinn. You know, there's a little something about winning, even though it's his first time being a head coach, 
I think what they did was they brought in a guy who's going to help them where they were weakest most, and that was on the defensive side of the football. Look, they don't have problems putting up numbers, putting up yards with Matt Ryan and the cast of uh, targets he has to throw to. Um, so I think that was the, the first point. The next point is you essentially got a head coach in waiting and office coordinator Kyle Shanahan. So any issues they did have with scheme, I think you're going to see them you know, battle through and fight through um, you know, this season. They brought in a kid named Tevin Coleman in the draft. I was a running back out of Indiana, a ton of carries. I think he's a very dependable, hard-running running back, someone who Matt Ryan's going to be able to rely on, not only in the running game, but also getting him out in the pass routes as well. So I think they really have the best opportunity all the way around to, um, you know, turn that record around, maybe into a 10-6 and six season, uh, given everything they have to adjust to. And, look, you're playing the NFC South, right? A, a losing record of 7-8-1 and one wins you the division and gets you in the playoffs. So, um, they don't have to turn around that much in order to you know make a jump and be able to make it in the playoffs and win the division. BP, what do you got? Yeah, my, I'm going to go with the Miami Dolphins, and uh, obviously Nobik and Sue's, uh, you know, his signing this last year was the headliner. But to me, it's what they did the offensive side of the ball that's going to get them over the top, and it had to do with the improvement of their wide receivers. Uh, you know, we talked about Mike Wallace earlier and his ineptitude there in Miami, and we talked also about. Brian Tannehill, his struggles throwing the deep ball, he's going to get a lot of help with what he's really good at, which is throwing those intermediate routes. You know, they bring in great Jennings, Kenny Stills, Jarvis Landry's a second-round pick from a couple years ago, to be able to go out there in the second year with the laser and have an excellent season and be really the catalyst in helping that Miami team get over the top and get themselves in the playoff hunt. For my pick, I'm actually going to go with Minnesota. We're going back up uh, to the Great White North there. Uh, and the reason I picked the Vikings, and I know this is actually kind of a, a fad pick uh, because of Adrian Peterson. I mean, that's 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 easy. That's sort of a throwaway. But uh, the reason I picked them, and, and again, it's not just because Adrian Peterson's back. It's because any back is back for them, quite frankly. And, and that's not meant to be a knock on uh, uh, is it Asada. Asada, I don't know how to say that name. Uh, but the young guy that was there last year, it, you could really name any any top 10, 15, whatever, 20 back. But the lead guy that really that entire roster was built around, quite frankly, when you give your running back that amount of cap space, when he's that big a part of what you do offensively, and then you lose him and insert a rookie quarterback who I think did a, did a fine job considering the situation, I think that's a team that all of a sudden, Okay, now our identity's back. I mean, you have Phil Lodeholt at uh, Lodeholt at uh, at right tackle, a monster, a guy that does not belong in pass pro. You know, for for fifty, sixty snaps or whatever. He doesn't. This is a guy that is is there because Adrian Peterson's behind him. Matt Khalil, who took a lot of heat, uh, you know, former uh, top tackle taken out of USC. Uh, again, I think he's a guy who can still be a great, great left tackle in the NFL. He just needs to get back to that run pass balance, which is what Minnesota is is best known for with Adrian Peterson. I think you'll see uh, Teddy Bridgewater's, you know, just his ceiling go even higher than I think what people thought it would be because all of a sudden it's not on his shoulders to drop back and make plays. Greg Jennings is a nice player in this league, was an exceptional player in Green Bay. I think he's at that complimentary stage uh, of his life. Uh, and last year he was meant to be the lead receiver. Just wasn't a, I don't think it was a great fit. Uh, you know, Cordero Patterson is really the kind of guy that's a lot like Randall Cobb in Green Bay. I think perfect in a situation where he's complimentary. Uh, maybe less perfect when you really are trying to rely upon that guy for production each and every week. Kyle Rudolph, I think a lot of people thought he had a little bit of a step back. He did slightly so in production. Again, that's a tight end who I don't think gets open all by himself uh, with wiggle or anything like that. This is not uh, 
you know, this is not Vernon Davis out in San Francisco. This is not uh, even like a Jason Witten uh, in Dallas. I think he's a guy that definitely has ability, definitely can make plays, but a lot of that's working the crap out of the inside of the field off play action. And all of a sudden, everyone looks better. And that's that, that can really go for anyone around the NFL. But all of a sudden, when you get your identity back, when you get what you do best back, and you add in a guy like Mike Wallace, as, as Brady Quinn mentioned earlier, I think is a perfect compliment here. All of a sudden, Patterson is doing what you expect him to do. He's a complimented player. He might be a defense's third or fourth option to account for. And then all of a sudden, he's making those Randall Cobb plays again. So Minnesota, again, not just because it's Adrian Peterson. You know, if it had been Matt Forte that was gone or any other good back that was that that roster had been built around had returned as soon as that guy comes back I think everyone in the roster starts to look better and I flip to the defensive side of the ball and say hey they got a nice pick in Eric Kendricks they got a playmaker out of UCL a light guy that's almost a safety he's a six foot 230 guy but he plays all over the field will be a really nice compliment for Chad Greenway they had Anthony Barr who made some plays himself as as a rookie it's just a really athletic good second level group that you know you look up and down that roster they got a lot of first second and third year players on the defensive side of the ball that's a group that'll grow and all of a sudden they're not meant to be on the field each and every down because they'll have an offense that I think will be more balanced so I think that's uh I think Minnesota is a safe pick to make a jump in this next year anyway I'm gonna wrap the show here today guys Uh, that was awesome great conversation uh the FPF podcast can be found on iTunes and Stitcher or you can visit blogtalkradio.com and go to the Football by Football page. Be sure to check out footballbyfootball.com online if you don't already, and make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at FB by FB. Thanks for listening to the Football by Football podcast. Football insight by football players. Hi, Lucky. Hi, Dusty. Good night, Ned. Good night, Ned. <laughs> Good night, Ned. <laughs> <laughs>